In this podcast, Head of Lower School Beth Mello presents to parents about the fourth grade experience, including study skills, puberty, and other elements of the program. Good morning. Eight fifteen on the dot. So we'll go ahead and get started to kind of value people's time. Um, feel free to help yourself to coffee if you need to leave a little bit earlier. We are recording the. I was going to say conversation, it's not really a conversation, more like a monologue, a presentation. Um, it's being recorded so you can access it later on. When I was thinking about this presentation, I pulled it up um, a couple of days ago and I was looking at it to freshen it up and I thought, maybe it's time to just do a whole new rejig. Maybe there are some families here, yes, there are some families here who have already sat through the presentation. With, yeah, yeah, exactly, uh, with an older child. And I was looking through it and I said, you know, yeah, so there's some tweaks and updates that need to be made, but pretty much it stands, it stands steady, stands firm and worth the conversation. And as I said to Andy this morning, the presentation really is a series of reminders. It's not anything you don't already know. Um, and so you can just kind of embrace it in that way. And really, if you have sat through this before, think about your fourth grader, right? So I was also thinking about the, the title of the presentation, and somewhere along the line, it changed from talking about the whole child to health and wellness. And somehow we'll address all of that, but our root will be maybe a little bit like, hmm, how is she connecting those dots? So what dots am I connecting? Study skills and puberty. Yeah. <laughs> and moving forward, I think I will just call it the puberty talk, because there might be even a, a greater attendance rate if we just put it out there that that's what we're doing here. Um, but before we start, uh, the faculty love it when we have faculty meetings and I say, let's start with a quiz. They say, ooh, yay. No, they don't say that at all. But I'm going to quiz you now. It's an internal quiz. You're thinking about your fourth grader, maybe visualizing them. Can you see them? Can you feel them in your heart? And I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Please do not answer out loud. <laughs> Just do an internal reflection and the responses are, Yes, no, developing. Also knowing that there are no wrong answers. Like no one's gonna get in big trouble if, if you're feeling like, ooh, I shouldn't be answering that, that way. Um, so here's the quick quiz. There are nine questions, so don't, don't stress out too much. Um, does your child follow home or school rules in the absence of an adult presence? Yes, no, developing. Does your child remember to follow routine chore without reminders? Does your child or children, we have some twins here, not overreact to losing a game or not being selected? Does your child spend 30 to 60 minutes on homework assignments, if in fact they're assigned that much homework? Do they carry out long-term projects with most steps broken down by someone else? Are they able to keep track of homework materials, materials and assignments? Does your child complete daily routines within reasonable time limits without assistance? Are they able to save allowance for three to four weeks to make a desired purchase? And can they shift gears when plans have to change due to unforeseen circumstances? Hmm. Are you feeling okay? Okay. So uh, this quiz actually came from um, a book called Smart But Scattered. And it's it really a deep exploration of what executive functioning skills are and how you can support your child. 
Um, and what the questions came from, um, and I'll show you the executive functioning skills breakdown in terms of what we're actually talking about here, and those questions align with that. Actually, I'll do it right now. Um, and the questions you were asked were specifically geared towards fourth and fifth graders. Now, our job as educators and parents is to give our kids exposure and practice with these kinds of opportunities. It doesn't mean that in fourth grade they should have mastered everything. It means that these are targets and things you can be thinking about, but folding into your, you know, folding in your knowledge of your own child and what their strengths and weaknesses are. Okay? So what is executive functioning? It's really the, the framework or the how of any kind of learning. So whether you're talking about academic skills or social emotional skills, it's really the, the some folks call it the air, air traffic controller. It's how you engage with the learning and how you construct meaning. And again, that could be about academic skills or it could be about non-cognitive things and social emotional development. And so hopefully, you're seeing maybe how study skills and puberty and the sex talk kind of connect. It's about self-regulation, it's about making choices, it's about uh, managing frustrations. So it kind of fits under that, the auspices of the whole child or health and wellness in kind of a loose fashion. These are things that develop over time. All human beings are born with the capacity to develop executive functioning and they show up at different times over the course of their journey, their lifetime. Um, and again, as I said before, the, the questionnaire that you just kind of responded to, those are basically questions that should be developmentally appropriate for fourth and fifth graders. Why, why, right now there's a lot of um, discussion and research and information about executive functioning out there in kind of educational journals and so forth. And why is that? Well, because, are you familiar with the marshmallow study? Um, for those of you who are not familiar with the marshmallow study, it was done with young, youngsters, young children. I forget exactly how old they were, maybe four or five. Um, and they were given a marshmallow and told, you have an option. You can eat this marshmallow now, or if you wait five, ten minutes, we'll give you a second marshmallow. And so the kids who are actually able to defer gratification and wait for that second marshmallow, it was a longitudinal study. And what they found was that they had greater um, levels of satisfaction and happiness and sense of fulfillment as adults later on. So it kind of speaks to the importance of ex executive functioning. Standardized tests, the ERBs and CPT4 things and that kind of stuff is not a strong indicator of kids who show up in the world as adults feeling like a sense of fulfillment and, and satisfaction. It's more it's things like Falco's pride, these 21st century skills, which are all hinged on kind of a sense of metacognition and how you're able to manage your learning and what you know about yourself and how you interact with opportunities to learn. So, that's the why with the executive functioning. How does it show up at foot school? I'm just doing a quick, I want to get to fourth grade and how it shows up. Um, it's interesting to note there are a couple of things, and I think you'll see it reflected in our practice at foot, but there are things that you can do that support executive functioning at home. Play, mindfulness and meditation, and practice. So if you were looking at the question about allowance and chores and you were thinking, hmm, I need to up my game, that's a great opportunity to support your child in developing executive functioning. It's giving them some responsibilities at home and making them responsible for following through on them. 
All right. So how does this show up at foot school? I said, actually, we're going to talk about study skills because we're going into the season of longer term projects in fourth grade. And we're also going into the season of puberty talks. And so we're going to kind of put those out in front of you in some hopefully practical ways. So study skills. Um, I think of this as showing up in the area of homework, test taking, and long-term projects. So I just want to share some thoughts with you about things that you can do to support your children as they engage in these. And I, you know, the, the, the staging or scaffolding, kind of the journey that your children are engaged in, K through nine at foot, there's some thought about it. You know, the step from second grade to third grade where we introduce homework, and then in, from third to fourth grade where the kids have lockers and they have more space to, to navigate. We want to give them opportunities to have greater independence and really stretch uh, the skills that we're talking about and kind of be thinking about who they are, who they are um, themselves as learners. So when you're thinking about homework, multitasking does not work. And this may not be relevant for you right now. You may not have a lot of technology in your home right now or social media, but it's coming down the pike. But it's been fairly well proven that multitasking and, oh yeah, but I can manage the Netflix on and my texting on and my uh, you know, textbook out. I can manage all of those things. The research is pretty clear that the, none of us can manage it all that well. So you want to model that for your kids and you want to be pretty explicit about your expectations um, with that. You want to create a consistent uh, space for study that's really going to support them in being successful in creating a routine. And so space, routine um, are both important pieces of supporting study skills and homework. And the 18 minutes rule down here is that um, there was some research that was done that says that kids have, or most kids, kind of the average is that they have an 18 minutes threshold of frustration. If they're working on something really hard, they can probably tolerate like 18 minutes, maybe your child a little less or a little more, and then they probably need a break. So you kind of need to read your child's cues and say, hey, I'm noticing that you seem to be frustrated. Why don't you go shoot some basketball hoops or why don't you go for a little walk or why don't you get a snack and then you can come back to your homework. But sometimes our kids, need a little guidance from the adults in their lives to be able to manage and develop these skills. And again, it goes back to that quiz that we saw. Um, that with support, they should be able to do many of these things, but we need to support them in recognizing when things are getting tricky. Um, did you happen to see, this is, kind of, this is kind of a random thought, but did you happen to see the piece in the New York Times about boredom? So they were making a case for our kids are not bored enough. We need to give them opportunities to be bored. That is also another way to develop executive functioning because they have to figure out how to manage that space, manage frustration, and come up with that actually supports creative thinking and innovation. And so that's another thing that you can do is ensure that your children are bored sometimes. Take away the technology, technology um, make them go outside, uh, but create open space where they need to manage. And it's uncomfortable for some of our kids, right? They like the structure. They like to have the, the interaction with a device or, or something. But put them in that uncomfortable zone where they can really stretch themselves. I'm sorry, that was kind of a random, you know, away from study skills, but it's another, I think, important strategy to be thinking about at home. Test taking. We don't do a lot of test taking up through fourth grade, um, or not in a very formal sense. You know, we're doing assessments to check and see how the, the kids are performing. But test taking, moving into middle school, uh, you, you will see more traditional tests. Um, small doses is the best way to approach test taking and study. 
So if you can get your kids to come up with a routine where they review their notes five minutes every day, that's going to be a lot more successful than cramming right before a large assessment. Uh, Self-monitoring and testing. And actually, I was reading a piece the other day as part of our math CRC that there's, there's a, a woman who's doing a lot of research um, regarding growth mindset and math. And she makes a case for forget all of the skilly stuff related to homework um, in math instruction. Like if you're thinking about homework, the best way to set it up is actually with self-monitoring and metacognition. Ask the kids three questions. Um, what do I know? What am I struggling with? <laughs> what am I struggling with? <laughs> How can I address my struggles and what resources are at, at my disposal? So she makes a case that forget all of the practice and all of the kind of rote stuff, have them think about their own learning and really tapping into um, what we call metacognition and thinking about thinking and, and what they know about their own learning profiles. Positive thinking goes a long way. It's, it's quite remarkable. The, again, you know, there's lots of research about social-emotional dispositions and how you're feeling about something and how anxiety or worry can really interfere with you showing up and performing your best. Um, we've just gone through, a, or we're actually in the midst of, I sit down with fifth grade parents to go over the um, Educational Research Bureau standardized test. It's the first time we introduce it. And that's part of my, my line to families is like, this is one moment in time and you need to take into consideration how your child was feeling about the experience because it has a huge impact. Um, the other thing that's interesting uh, is, I don't know if you folks have read Whistling Vivaldi, but you know, the, the concept of stereotype threat. If you're a woman going into a math assessment and the first thing you do is check the female box, you're actually you're setting yourself up to perform more poorly than if you just went in and didn't check any boxes about your gender just because there are you know, notions out in society about how you're going to show up in a given setting and it actually interferes with how you perform. So that's kind of fascinating and it's something to think about anyways, that you want to really set your kids up. And the other thing that um, Joe Bowler, the woman who talked about the homework and what the, the ideal scenario is around metacognition, she also has done some research um, and said that the number one indicator of how your child is going to engage in math instruction and, and their sense of self around math is their parents' disposition about math. So if you are the parent at home saying, I hate math, I was never good at math, honey, don't worry about it, you probably stink at math too, stop doing that. Change the narrative because it has a huge impact on how kids show up and perform. Um, positive thinking, mnemonics. And visualizing, again, visualizing is a really great way, whether you're talking about reading comprehension or you're talking about conceptual understanding, ask your kids to conjure up a, an image or a vision or draw a quick sketch of what that looks like. Um, those are great study skills and test-taking strategies. And then finally, long-term projects. And again, one of the motivations for putting this in front of you now in fourth grade is that we're going into the season of a couple of long-term projects. The state study and their biographies are coming up this spring. Um, you know, probably the best thing to do is to start with the, the outcome in mind. What is the desired outcome? What is the product? And work backwards. So if you have, if you've already received the instructions about the project, if you haven't, the teachers will be sending that out soon. Um, Get a calendar out and map it backwards with your kid. Well, we know the due date is here. Let's think strategically. What events do we have in our family lives? What vacations are we going on? Spring break's in the middle. How are we going to organize our time so that you can feel successful? I tried at one point to move to kind of a total technology-based 
um, like to-do list system on an iPad, and I had to go back to paper and pencil because the sense of satisfaction of checking it off and said, yes, I did it, was so big. So think about your kids in that regard. If you can help them break down larger tasks into smaller chunks, it's really satisfying to be able to check it off and say, done, I'm ready for the next piece. Um, and for some of our kids, when they get kind of the overarching project laid out in front of them, it, the first reaction is like, whoa, that's feeling too big. So again, being able to help support them in breaking it into smaller chunks is going to be really fruitful. Um, establish timelines, keep a calendar, check it off, and keep in communication with the teacher. Now, the teachers do a really nice job of scaffolding this with your children. They'll come up with timelines, and they'll, they'll have a calendar, they'll have all kinds of resources to support you. What your teachers don't know is what your family routine is like and what sports you're going to and you know, what vacations you have planned and so forth. So keep the conversation open with them to, to support your child. So um, the 50 State Fair project, the two essential questions, what's unique about your state, why would people migrate there? The migration question is actually new and under development, and the idea was to connect it back to the, all the immigration studies that they've been doing and try to make the whole year kind of an exploration of why people move, how do they get to be here, and, and what are the motivators for that. Um, it runs from February through April, so they've already started the states. They, um, when I met with the fourth grade team yesterday, they were saying that their approach this year, it's interesting because you would think that teachers who have been doing the same grade level for a number of years would be like, yeah, okay, I'm just doing the same old thing. Every year it evolves in a way that's really significant and meaningful. So this year they've actually broken down the project by themes and they're exploring like the other day they were doing economy. And they kind of broke it down, got to kind of the essential underpinnings for a fourth grade about what economy means and then transfer it to the study of their state. And then they'll move on to um, uh, landscapes or you know what uh, some other special features about the state or the geography but they're chunking it in a really meaningful way for your children um, they'll be engaged in research they'll be partnering the teachers and the children will be partnering really closely with the librarians they'll have a creativity day and the creativity day your role in the creativity day is to one to donate recyclables and materials so that the kids can make really fascinating beautiful landmarks out of the trash or stuff that you donate um, and to be a cheerleader because for some kids again back to the notion of executive functioning and how you manage your feelings and frustrations for some kids they walk into the maker space the creativity day which is this room is turned over to the fourth grade it's covered with blue canvas to protect the carpet the kids take all of the stuff that you've donated and they really work some magic with it. And they build amazing things that fit into the context of their state studies. Um, but as I, I was saying, some children walk into that space really naturally and comfortably and say, wow, I feel great about this. I love to collaborate. And I don't mind a little ambiguity. And I don't mind testing something and having it failing. Um, and other kids, it's really stressful. And that is by design. We want the kids to be able to kind of test themselves and challenge themselves. So some families in the past have been like, what is my role? Can we actually pre-do or practice the, the, the activity before we walk into that space? The answer is no. Just ensure your child or reassure your child that they're going to show up and they're going to be just fine and that there are going to be plenty of adults on hand and peers to support them and help them navigate that. 
But it's really interesting because kid, some kids that, you know, some kids just, like I said, really shine in that space, kids who might not shine in other spaces, and other children who have a certain level of confidence with their academic learning um, and in the classroom um, might, you know, might struggle because they're used to kind of getting the right answer, and so this ambiguity creates some nice tension for them. But it's all good. I don't know. It sounds kind of scary. It's great. It's a, it's a great day, and the kids, you know, the, the, actually the kids who struggle the most at the end of the day are the ones who said it was the most rewarding. Um, but they're also fourth graders, so they will try to take, like, a cardboard base and pile a bunch of rocks on it and think that that's going to be okay to work and, and transition from here to the gym. And they learn through firsthand experience that it's awfully heavy and it collapses and it doesn't work. So then they need to kind of rejig their thinking. Um, they also write an essay, uh, My Mount Rushmore. They'll select who they want to carve into their own Mount Rushmore. And they'll also do a landmark description uh, to, to kind of go with the, the thing that they've generated. There'll be a box map that they'll do at home, a creative box map. Um, and that will also be staged over the course of time so that you'll know, you know the time frame for when things should get accomplished. It's for the children to do. Um, and there's the option of doing it over spring break. Why do we create that option? We don't, not to create you know, chaos and consternation in your households. Some families don't travel over spring break, and they really like the idea that the child has a project that they can work on in small doses over time. Other folks do travel. It's not a requirement, it's optional. If problems present themselves, then just reach out to your teachers to get some orientation if you need some partnership with that. Um, they'll do a poster at home, I mean, excuse me, at school in partnership with the art department. And then the state fair will be on April 25th from 1.30 to 2.30 in the gymnasium. And the kids do a fabulous job. So you wanna put that on your calendar and ensure that um, you're able to come. All right, I lost track. Um, bi biographies come follow right after the state project and how has your person had a positive impact on society is the driving question uh, again the teachers have done a lot of work in having this project evolve initially it was um, how has your American had a positive impact on society and then they were kind of struggling with how they defined American and then they thought again about their their thorough exploration of immigrants, and so they changed it to person, and then they've been very intentional about making sure that there's diversity represented in the, the cohort of folks who are offered to the kids to study, so that there's some personal interest and motivation, and that they're exposed to a broader breadth of leadership and social changers um, in the world. Um, they generate a five-paragraph research paper, and then they do a wax museum, so they'll come in dressed, in as, dressed up as their person, and they will, again, this space will be turned over to fourth graders. Well, they will present to each other and to um, other students on campus. Um, parents, I'm sorry to say, parents are not invited to that event. But what we do do is record each child doing their little narrative, their little spiel, so that it, you can watch it online. So what is your job? Your job is to review the proposals, calendars, materials, uh, refer to the blog. The teachers do a nice job of keeping that um, up, to, up to date. Use the calendar, uh, plan out what your weeks will look like, com communicate with the teachers. I don't have a bullet here, but it's really important. Praise effort. Um, try, to, try to not praise the product, really praise the effort that's going into generating the product, because um, that helps gr create a growth mindset. And let your child do your own work. Now, this is, it's kind of funny, because one of the reasons that we started doing this presentation for families is that 
we had a couple of seasons of state fair projects where we had some uncomfortable situations where there was a lot of adult support offered to a child and the child showed up at the fair and felt it. And so we thought, you know what, let's get ahead of it. Let's, let's partner with the parents and let them know that um, one of the ways that kids develop meaning is by constructing it. And so that's why we create these opportunities. And it gets messy, and it looks like a fourth grade product, and that's OK. And you'll notice that when you show up at the fair on April 25th, you're going to be really imp impressed with the creativity, innovation, hard work, um, and the fourth grade product. So we just ask for your partnership with that. And it's, it's, sometimes it's hard. Hey, mom, can you na na na? Oh, you know what? I think, I think you can do it. I think you'll do a great job. Um, but if you need support again, you can ask the teachers, and they'll give you some guidance and support. Other ways that the fourth grade team supports the whole child and kind of gets to some of that executive functioning, whether it's academic or uh, more social emotional, every morning they have a, a meeting where they play games and they're um, offering math stumpers and challenges and doing riddles and really creating community. Um, Mike McCabe, uh, our tech analyst, comes in um, once a cycle to offer mindfulness with Mike. And the idea is to give the kids strategies about, again, uh, developing a, a focused, centered space that supports um, executive functioning and just managing feelings and, and feeling good about their learning. They also do some journaling um, with that. Digi digital citizenship, as they have Chromebooks, uh, the tech department is teaching kids about responsibility, using those tools, um, and how to show up with Falco's Pride in those spaces. They have a really, in fourth grade, a really robust buddies program. So that it's intergenerational. They're going to Calvin Hill with the little ones. They interact with sixth graders on campus. And they also go to Whitney Center. And some of the photos that you saw there were interactions with their friends. Again, that's a way to kind of connect socially and develop those, that kind of that, that, uh, that muscle of social interactions and, and how to interact with others. Project Adventure happens once a week where they get team building challenges. Um, affinity groups is relatively new, um, but we offer a couple of different affinity groups. One affinity group is for children who have learning differences, um, and what that means is they might be getting some learning support, or they might be having some feeling like they have a different learning profile than their classmates, and it's an opportunity for them to have lunch and connect with Kathy Pamlard, who's the director of our learning support services, and just talk about like, you know, how does that feel? How can we support you? Um, and it's more kind of a social moment. We have an affinity group for children of color that Kasuth facilitates. Again, it's the same kind of idea, exploring themes around identity and showing up in a space that's predominantly white and how does that feel and how can we support you? And then finally, I lead the, um, the affinity group for, oh, we changed the name of it. Uh, dissolution, pfft. Actually, is, the kids wanted to call it that because they looked up a, a, a synonym for, for separation or divorce, and it said dissolution. And there was also the word from the Urban Dictionary, so they said, we like that. That's kind of funny. Like, who cares? Like, our parents are divorced. We don't really care. So they show up in my office, and we just talk about how, how it feels to, again, not be part of the um, majority, and are there any things that they need support with in navigating that. Um, we also have a group for children who have experienced loss of a, a loved one. And Cassie Spidori, our associate, facilitates that group. Um, if you have other ideas about affinity groups, let us know. We're happy to kind of partner with families. What we want to do is support everyone's identity and ensure that they feel represented and supported at school. 
Um, PE grouping, this is a change. Um, historically, there was a lot of grouping around gender, um, especially moving into the older grades. And there was some feedback about that, like, you know, wait a minute, why are, why are the girls being excluded from more competitive settings and, and assume that we, they want to be in this space? And so what the PE teachers are actually doing is um, doing grouping based on self-selection levels of competition. Like, do you really want to compete? Then go to this group. If you want, like, just a friendly game, then you can go to this group. Um, and it's worked out really well. The feedback has been really positive. I think for the most part, it was the girl population that was feeling kind of, like, excluded from from the offerings there. And then finally, puberty talks, which we'll move into now. <laughs> Again, friendly reminders. It was just like yesterday that they were this size. Like, actually, I'm looking at your children thinking, they're not still in kindergarten? No, they're not. They've, here we are, fourth grade. All right, so what are the objectives in grade four? We want the kids to be able to recognize the signs of puberty. We want them to know that there might be some social, there'll be physiological changes, there'll be social changes, and how they can like, recognize the signs of that. We want them to know that um, there are ways that they should be taking care of their body and that there are all kinds of resources available to them and to their parents to support them in navigating this journey. And most importantly, we want them to know that there's a very broad range of normal because that's what the kids want to know. Is it normal? Is it normal that I got my period? Is it normal that I haven't got my period? Is it normal that I this or I that or whatever? Really broad range and we just want to reassure the kids that yes, Yes, it's all normal, you're normal, it's okay. Um, we get into a conversation about terminology regarding the difference between sexual orientation, gender identity, sex, and gender expression. Um, again, we wanna make sure that we support all of our children in their developing identities. Um, and we know that around 10 years old, there is some thought about sexual orientation and so forth and some questioning and so forth. So we want to give them language that they know right up front that there is a distinction between the way that you show up in the world and how you dress and what your anatomy looks like. Um, and then later on, your sexual orientation and who you fall in love with. And that's kind of the language that we use to, to put it in front of the kids. We don't, in, unless a specific question comes up, we don't get into um, reproduction and, and sexual intercourse with fourth graders. We talk about the changes of their body. Um, so there'll be four days. The first day is overview, question and answers, and resources. So the kids have a chance to write down all kinds of questions, and they run the gamut. It's fascinating. Um, day two, they watch a video, You, Your Body, and Puberty. And it's actually kind of a dramatization of kids a little bit older than they are talking to the adults in their lives and kind of exploring different themes about um, puberty. Day three, they break into single gender groups and talk, get even more kind of into the specifics of how that shows up. Um, and then day four, we talk about gender diversity, identity, and stereotypes, and um, that terminology that I just put in front of you, we put in front of the kids. The teachers do a fabulous job. Yes? Beth, are those days scheduled? Do we know any days? They will tell you. They haven't been scheduled. We know they'll be in April, but they'll send out a letter to let you know. Okay. And they'll also... They'll give you access if you want to watch the video. You can have access to the video as well as the other resources that are available. Um, and the teachers are great resources. Actually, Denise was mentioning yesterday that the, the American Girl series has been really helpful for her as she's having conversations with her own children. So um, she'll make some suggestions for you as, if you would like them. Grade five, uh, it's a three-day program, puberty video and question generation. 
uh, puberty discussion and responses. And then there's a video. It's, it's a really old video. We need to update it. But it does actually get into, it's a question and answer with some um, sex ed education professionals who answer the kids' questions directly. Um, and it does get into um, uh, reproduction and sexual intercourse. And also, um, the, the piece that shows up is really old, is that it presents a very gender binary notion of either you're straight or you're not. And so we actually take advantage of the opportunity to unpack it for the kids and say, you know what, how do you know that this video is old? Because they've got this like binary approach to things. Now we know that there's a whole continuum and range of the way that people show up in the world and their sexual orientation. And so we kind of take advantage of it as a learning moment. But we're, you know, if anyone has a recommendation about a good resource that's developmentally appropriate, we're, we're interested in it. Um, so that's grade five. Folks who are involved, classroom teachers, the associate um, specialists, what does that mean? Colleen Murphy, Carla Matheny, um, so PE teachers, art teacher. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any other specialists. Kasuth plays a role there. I play a role there. So it's really a team approach so that folks know that there, you know, there are lots of different people they can go to with, with questions if they have them. So regarding puberty and sex and all that stuff, there's some, some bad news. The teachers love this too when I say, you want the good news or the bad news? They're like, whatever, just give it to us. So here's the bad news, is that for whatever reason, and it dates back in history, but you know, kind of the, if you think of us as a society, we don't, and maybe that's not typical to foot, right? We get a little bit different constellation, but if I think about my journey, with my family, my parents, and how they approached sex ed with me, it was based on a like, oh, if we don't talk about it, nothing will happen. And that's not, we know that's not effective. You, gotta, you have to talk about it. So that's the piece about Puritan's roots and parents' fears, that we're afraid that if we put something out there, our kids will be engaged to, will be inclined to engage. Um, it's just not true. The other bad news is that while we think we're having the talk with the kids, most, of, most kids report that my parents never talked to me about it. So you have to, you keep the conversation. When opportunities present themselves, you answer questions and you keep, otherwise, you know, like, oh, I, I had the talk. Check, it's done. That approach doesn't work. The kids don't recognize that you've actually talked to them about it. And it should evolve over time, right, in a way that the way you talk to your fourth grader is going to be different than the way that you talk to your 10th grader. Um, and then I guess I think this, the scariest news of all is that if we don't have the conversation with kids, meaning educators and parents, there's lots of other places where they're going to get information. So whether that's TV, Netflix, um, online stuff, they're getting information. And I had a funny situation in, in fifth grade a few years ago where we were talking to the girls. And before we started the talk, we said, you know, how do you know what you know? about reproduction and, and things around sex. And one of the girls said, oh, I know, I, need, I know everything I need to know. I said, really? You're in fifth grade? You, need, you know everything? And she said, yes. And I said, well, where'd you get that information? She said, my cousin. And I said, well, how old is your cousin? She's like, oh, she's 14. I said, oh, OK. Well, maybe there's something we can offer to fill in some, you know, 14's not a lot of ex living years and experience. Anyways, um, something to note interesting piece of data. I don't know, it's a little scary, I guess. And maybe it'll motivate you to have conversations about this stuff if you're not motivated. But the, the data says that half as many parents 
thought their children had seen pornography than had seen it. It's like 50% of the parents didn't have a clue that their kids were actually looking at pornography. And the parents underestimated what they had seen tenfold. There is stuff out there. And you can come upon it accidentally, or you can come upon it you know, intentionally if you want to, but it's out there. And so you really want to get ahead of it and be direct and supportive with your children and make sure you convey your, mess, your values um, and, and the messages that you want your children to have about their bodies and their sexuality. Um, here's the good news. Uh, the number one indicator of how kids engage in the decision making is uh, predicated on a parent's role in supporting them and talking to them and stuff. So it really, while it seems like your kids are not listening to you, they are. And I, I have, uh, my son is 27, my daughter's 26. I'm still a little blown away when they come back to me and they say, Mom, do you remember when you said, I'm like, well, you were listening. But there's no, there's no like, in the moment with a teenager, you don't know that they're listening, but they are listening. Um, and it's an ongoing conversation. So Michael Kaplan, our consulting psychiatrist, was talking to fifth grade parents the other day, and he said, you have so many opportunities for do-overs. Just do it. If you screw up one conversation, then take advantage of the next conversation. Or even go back and say, you know, I was thinking about that conversation we had. Maybe I would have answered it differently thinking about it again. Like, take advantage of those multiple um, opportunities to get, get in front of uh, the conversation with your kids. The other, the, you know, there's one more piece um, which I think is tied to the pornography thing. There are some great resources out there. So this is one. Deborah Rothman came to us last year or the year before and did a presentation. She's got a book, Talk to Me First. So it's really practical advice about how to uh, approach the conversation with your kids. This, there's a copy of this in the library. Um, if you need, again, motivation to have conversations with your kids, then you could um, read Peggy Ornstein's Girls and Sex. It's a little bit more shocking. I think that's where the data about pornography came from. But the other thing that she says is that, unfortunately, we've been having kind of a non-conversation with our girls um, in their sexuality. And as a result, oftentimes what happens in, in high school is that, and in, in through college, is that girls have two options. Either they can be promiscuous or they can be approved. And there isn't a lot of like support for that space in between. So it really behooves us to have honest conversations with our girls about their body parts, about their sexuality and stuff, and support them in those conversations. Um, so I lost my train of thought, but I thought that was an important message to kind of put out there. So oh, other resources, girls and sex, and then Untangled is fabulous. It doesn't necessarily get into um, the specifics about supporting around uh, sexuality and sex and stuff like that. It just gets into like generally parenting of teenagers. It's got geared towards girls. But it's so practical and supportive that I would encourage you, even if you're raising boys, to, to take a look at it. Really good resources. And I'm happy to put these out in front of you. Maybe when we post the podcast, I can give you a list of resources that you can access. Um, general tips for preteens, for your children. Relax. It's going to be OK. You have lots of opportunities. If you're not comfortable talking about a given topic or you don't know what you think the right answer is, there's so many resources out there. There's plenty of opportunities to do some research. Reflect, what, is it, what message do you want to convey to your kids? Right? Talk to your partner, your spouse, and, and see if you're on the same page, and really do some reflective thinking. Um, start a conversation. If they're old enough to ask questions, answer their questions. And Deborah Rothman would tell you, 
don't use euphemisms. Don't talk about the birds and the bees. Don't talk about, talk about, use the proper terminology for body parts. Use the proper terminology for things so that they're well informed. Um, otherwise, it can be very confusing. Um, this is also something, do you know what they're asking? And Michael Kaplan reminds us of this all the time, that our kids will come home and say, oh, I'm dating. And he's like, before you freak out, ask what that means. Oh, I'm dating because I see, I see Billy on the playground at lunchtime every day. Like sometimes it's not what we think it is. And so make sure you understand what they're asking of you so that you can answer the question. Because sometimes they're not asking us what we think. You know, like our, again, that anxiety kind of interferes with our brain working. So, um, and then as I said, be straightforward. When you move into the teenage, which is really, I wish I had uh, read this prior to kind of going through that, that stretch with my kids, but um, remember what it was like to be a teenager. Remember how tricky it was to navigate like social dynamics and really figure out who you were, what your own values were, and so forth. Remember that you wanted to be treated with respect and kind of like an adult. Um, you didn't want to be kind of like have a condescending uh, you know, condescension on the part of adults around you. You wanted to be kind of valued as a thinking being. So kind of remember that. Be mutually respectful. Um, again, don't assume anything. If they're asking you questions, it doesn't mean that they're actually engaging in those activities. They're, they're curious. They may have seen something or read something or there might be a conversation going on at home. So don't assume that they're engaging. Just listen. Um, and don't underestimate all the good work that you've done to support them in making good decisions. Right? Sometimes, and I'm... I'm the worst at this. I'll jump to the worst case scenario and, and, and jump right into assuming things. Um, another great resource, Advocates for Youth. Are you an askable parent? Are you creating a space where it's comfortable, where your kids can engage in a conversation with you? Um, this is uh, Deborah Rothman's website. Again, I can share that out with you so you can, there's more than you would ever need in terms of resources where you're talking about very young children or children of your age and moving forward. And then finally, um, your homework is to, and I would suggest if you have a partner or spouse or someone that you do this separately, answer the questions about like what messages you want your kids to get, what's important to you, um, and then compare notes and see, and that because that could get the conversation started. And, and maybe you actually can do a little divide and conquer if you have that possibility. Like I feel comfortable taking on this if you want to take on that, and we'll partner together. Um, but really see where you are in terms of the messages you want your kids to, to get from, from your conversations and from you know, their journey through puberty and, and, and beyond. Foot Podcasts are a production of The Foot School, an independent school for grades K through nine located in New Haven, Connecticut. Visit us online at footschool.org.